SMB Wisdom acknowledges the traditional owners of the lands upon which we have recorded this podcast today. We pay our respects to Elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Hello and welcome to the SMB Wisdom podcast, coming to you from the land of the Yuggera and Turrbal people. My name is Alice Rue and I'm a partner at SMB Advisory, the proud sponsors of this podcast. The SMB Wisdom podcast is a forum to provide value tips for business owners from an extended network of experts on their topics of expertise. I'm so very blessed to have an amazing network of people who are fabulous at what they do. They might be accountants, lawyers, business owners, or any number of individuals that day in, day out, deal with the issues and problems that can plague small and medium business owners and come up with solutions, outcomes, and results to assist. It's now my mission to bring some of this knowledge to small and medium business owners to assist them in making their good businesses great and their great businesses fabulous. Now on with today's episode. Hello everyone and welcome again to the SMB Wisdom Podcast, a forum to provide value tips for business owners from an extended network of experts on their topics of expertise. My name is Alice Rue and I'm a partner at SMB Advisory and the host of this amazing podcast. Today I'll be talking with Belinda Scissors-Mungi from McPherson and Kelly. Belinda's genuine passion for all things intellectual property is demonstrated by the integral role that she plays in bringing her clients' innovations to life. Belinda is committed to understanding the needs and wants of her clients to maximise the value in their IP assets. Belinda has known from day one that she wanted to dedicate her life to the practice of IP law. From working with small businesses where getting IP strategies and protection right can mean the survival of their business to managing large multi-jurisdictional IP portfolios for well-known global brands, Belinda provides solutions as innovative and impactful as her clients' ideas. Belinda sees her role as guiding her clients through their IP journey from creation and protection to commercialisation and enforcement of their valuable trademarks, designs, copyrights and trade secrets. Welcome, Belinda. Hello, Alice. Thank you so much for having me today. Not at all. What a wonderful um, bio. And I, I should probably add for um, for completeness sake that you've assisted SMB on a number of occasions in terms of I, our IP as well. So it's been wonderful to work with you. Thank you so much. Love my work. Can we, <laughs> of course. Uh, can we start off today by finding out the traditional land that you're coming to us from? Sure. It's Bunurong land. Are you in Dandenong today in Melbourne? I am. Yes, I'm in the McPherson Kelly office in our um, Dandenong um, area. Fabulous. Excellent. Now, Belinda, we've heard your bio that we've um, we've had from your website. Um, I'm wondering if you could maybe give us just a brief description of what you sort of do, your, your elevator pitch, as it were. Sure. Look, my job is really to help clients um, understand the value in their IP assets. And sometimes we've got to take an even sort of further back step to to really understand not just the value, but what what is the IP in that business? And every business is really different. Mm. So um, it's often uh, very reactionary IP issues. So a lot of the time clients come to us where things have gone pear-shaped rather than um, getting the protection sort of up front and being proactive in trying to avoid some of those issues down the track. So... Mm. My life's mission's really been to change the dialogue a bit to speak to clients much sooner in the process, much earlier, so they understand. Okay, well, you know, what are the the critical IP assets of this business, and what can we do now to get the house in order? 
as opposed to waiting for something to go wrong, um, which can often be much more difficult to um, to fix up, really. I mean, that, that's that's just the, the, the straight out truth. Oh, look, absolutely. I, I don't think I could agree with you more. And that goes in so many different instances with, I think, corporate and commercial life. But you just need to have, you know, an understanding of, of what you've got uh, and be able to have your house in order up front so that you can deal with these things as time goes on. Um, yep. We've got you on the podcast today, in case anybody had any you know, queries, but to talk about intellectual property essentials and why an understanding of intellectual property rights is really vital to business owners. And I think I'll premise this with obviously we had the really recent and very high profile cases between the Katie's Perry, as we were, where we had Katie Perry, who was operating under her own name, the designer in Australia, and then Katie Perry, the um, you know, obviously high profile pop star. And I'm sure that at the time that Katy Perry designer in Australia looked to register her trademark, she may not have really had too much of an inkling that no, using her not. name was just going to be um, questioned. And um, I think that's a really good example as to why IP is it's so important. Perfect example, um, because it really showed not just Australia, it, it showed the world how powerful a registered IP right can be. Um, you know, she had the foresight back when she started the business to file her trademark, you know, just small clothing designer, um, doing the right thing, just getting her trademark lodged. That effectively saved her and her business and the brand she had spent years and years uh, building reputation and goodwill in. Mm. Without the trademark, she would have no leg to stand on really mm. um it's a it was a birth name um but um you know when you've got someone like Katy perry the pop star on the other side with uh, the deepest pockets you can imagine um that that intimidation can just be too much and mm. uh but in this case Katy perry had a leg to stand on she had a very strong one because she was the, the prior rights owner of the trademark and so we do call it a you know it's a report in the media is a David and Goliath battle and but at the end of the day anyone who has a trademark has an upper hand um and so I just found as justice being served to the trademark owner you know I mm. I think um you know the federal court did make the right decision that um you know if Katy Perry was so intent on getting her brand protected in Australia she should have filed it sooner but yeah. Australian Katy Perry got in there first and so that that means something. And as long mm. as you've got the the funds, the the blood, sweat, tears to take on someone as big as Katy Perry Popstar, um, you've always got you've always got a chance of getting justice. And I think in this case, um, it, it did send a really positive message to to all business owners really that yeah. they're powerful, you need to invest early on in your business, and sometimes that's really scary because mm. you're just trying to find your feet, you're trying to you know, get the right team around you. But sometimes it can just be too late, you know, and when you've got the funds and the cash flow to then invest in your IP assets, it's just a bit too late. Um, mm. On that point, and we might, we'll come back to this a little bit later, but there are certain IP assets that are very time sensitive. Okay, mm. so if a business is um, solely based on, for instance, you know, R&D investment in a particular product, they've invented something. 
if they haven't got a patent or design over that invention, they won't have monopoly rights over that. So it won't give them an ability to exploit that invention the way they want to to in their in their business journey. Yeah. And so they might have to spend the 10 grand up front to protect that innovation, but it's going to pay enormous dividends if they ultimately get that patent granted because uh, mm. it gives them effectively a 20-year monopoly um, against anybody else to be able to use and exploit that invention. Absolutely. Patents and designs need to be secret before the application's filed. And that's a, that's the reason I want to sort of bring this in now. Yeah, Trademarks you can file at any time. But patents and designs are time sensitive. So you wait a year, you let you lose your ability to file at all. Yes. Um, with designs have only recently last year introduced a 12 month grace period. So mm -hmm. the amount of time I could count on my hands how many times clients have come into me and said, look, my product was just on the, the you know, TV on the weekend. We've got am amazing feedback. Let's spend the money now. Um, we can't. <laughs> you know, it's already it's already in the public domain. It's been disclosed. You know, with social media now, um, businesses that's their means of promotion. And so, yeah. as soon as they've tried and tested this product, it's automatically put on the website or on their social media feeds. That's public disclosure. Okay. Yeah. And so, if there is anything innovative in that product, um, they won't be able to find a patent for it. File a patent design. They will have. 12 months grace, but you know, preferably you'd want to get the design file before you disclose. So I think that's a really important thing to to bear in mm. mind in terms of timing. Mm. Cash flow, you know, might be an issue, but what is this product going to be worth to you in 12 mm -hmm. to two years' time, 12 months or two years' time? And yeah. if the answer is this is what my business is based on, the advice would be from any lawyer or, or IP um, professional is to file that IP before you launch because it could um, invalidate, you know, the, the design or patent altogether. Look, I think that is so important and we will go back and, but just while we're talking about that, I think we see in entrepreneurial circles and sort of startup circles, people talking relentlessly about backing themselves and understanding what they've got and registering your IP, I would think is the ultimate symbol of backing yourself because yep. it is putting out the money for what you believe is going to be, um, yep. you know, an amazing product or whatever the innovative um, innovation is um, before anybody else sees it. And if you are yep. comfortable that that's what you're going to do and you're talking the talk about backing yourself, then that's how you protect yourself, I would think. That's the first thing. The second thing is whilst you, you're right absolutely about the cash flow issues, I would think that there'd be many people, especially in this day and age where there's different levels of capital available to different people, when you go to a potential investor and you have a reason that you need cash, they're much more likely to be able to provide or to you know have, do a deal with you on that. And I would think if you go to somebody and you would be able to tell them, not me, because this may not this may <laughs> make it not secret anymore, but and you say, this is my idea. I just need dollars X to be able to register yep. it. And that's what I'm asking for. Not a huge amount of money to generally provide capital for my startup to do all these things. You have a specific ask. I think that's also an area where people say, well, you're backing yourself. This is what you're doing. You're very smart in your business. Yep. And they may be yep. likely to have a bit more of a closer look 
in terms of a hundred percent oh look it's a different ball game if mm. you're trying to get investment on a product that's already been patented you've already got the trademark in place you've got design registrations okay that's worth something you know that there's certainty in that isn't there mm. you know there's not there's not going to be the question mark over the head about around is this going to be infringing someone else's patent you know someone in europe doing something similar yeah. that this is not going to work you know you're not going to be get going to be able to get your own protection for this mm. but where you've got everything already set out for them it's a much stronger case you're presenting and Absolutely. and that's a big part of the education piece i play in my role um, is just to understand you know we can stagger protection what is more important you know we don't have to file your trademark in 20 countries right now you know if your first export market is going to be the US, well, let's just try to bed that down. Let's just try to get Australia, New Zealand, US, Europe. You know, we'll just try to get those four markets. And mm. so sometimes just breaking up that strategy into smaller bite-sized pieces can be, be a bit more palatable um, for, mm. the, for the client. Um, so it's certainly, I think, uh, another thing that popped in my head when you were talking about speaking to other potential business partners, investors, if you're not in the fortunate position of having that IP filed before you have those discussions, confidentiality agreements are absolutely critical. Mm. I want to preface that by saying they're not foolproof. You know, you don't know once you talk to somebody, you don't know who they're going to be talking to. Um, you know, it's better to have something in writing that both parties sign as a, you know, as opposed to nothing, but yeah. having a, a line in the sand in terms of I filed this patent, even if it might take two years to mature to grant all your design, um, that that you can't beat that because that is no. a date of filing. You've got a priority date. Your name is on that IP. No one can take that from you. All right. No. Um, I spoke to a client once who had a, a brilliant idea for a, um, a it was a, a sanitary product and mm -hmm. she went to the top sort of company in Australia who provide these products, um, disclosed her idea to them without getting them to sign a confidentiality deed. And um, a couple of months later, it was on the supermarket shelf. Yeah, wow. And so she had no recourse, you know, hmm. because, you know, it was her idea, but ideas mean nothing until they're acted on. Yeah, um, absolutely. So I think that, I think that's a really important point that no one, is it going to look out for you? You've got to look out for you. And That's so right. be really mindful about who you're speaking to, who you, who you, you know, people you think you might be able to trust. Um, they might have other motives and other agendas. And so speaking to a lawyer um, first before you sort of rush and do things, I think can um, be, you know, really valuable for businesses, no matter the size, um, because we can sort of, yeah, provide that guidance um, before. You know, you might shoot yourself in the foot or, you know, publish something that actually has real legs, you know, that you could mm. potentially get a, a patent for. Yeah, no, look, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, we've all heard of the nightmare stories where everyone has the disclosures and the confidentiality agreements in relation to one thing. And they've talked about that one thing. And then at the end of the meeting, they just pass, say in passing something about something totally different that's not covered by the confidentiality clause. And, um, yep. yeah intend to blow up in their face so understanding i think absolutely your um i don't know your exposure 
in those situations uh, can be so much more helpful than having um, a bit of a sort of tunnel vision point of view. Um, all right, well, before we keep going, do you want to actually let us know what we're actually talking about when we talk about intellectual property? Because I'm sure even now we're talking and a lot of business owners would think, oh, I don't really have any IP, yep. you know, what I do, I'm just, you know, John Smith electrician or whatever it is. Um, yep. But realistically, it's so important and generally speaking, the cornerstone of so many businesses. So do you want to maybe just let us know what, when we talk about IP, what are we talking about? Sure. I get a lot of calls uh, from clients say, I want to copyright this. I want to patent this. And they think that one term encapsulates all of the intellectual property assets, um, but it, do it doesn't. So there are different regimes when it comes to intellectual property. We discussed the Katy Perry case before, trademarks, all right? Yep. Most businesses will have valuable trademarks that they build reputation and goodwill in. And that they would be concerned that uh, a competitor was, you know, if they decided to use it the same or, or deceptively similar name. So trademarks um, are generally, you know, what a customer sees, you know, the name like you know, SMB yeah. advisory is your trademark, is your branding. It can be a text word, right? Text words um, give the applicant the best protection possible because <laughs> logos you. change over time, right? <laughs> so logos, um, you sort of find every five years there'll be a refresh there'll be a modernization of a a daggy logo that you used you know 20 years ago um and so if we can get the word mark protected that's going to put an, a business in really good stead potentially forever the beauty about trademarks is you can renew them every 10 years so they don't have a limited life like patents and designs okay so We've got text words for trademarks. We've got logos, really fan, you know, just look at those golden arches. My Sid, my kids notice the golden arches, you know, two kilometres up the road. Oh, and so, that's right. <laughs> you know, but that, but that is um, a, their logo. That They want people to see that golden M and think of McDonald's, you know. And so it doesn't necessarily just have to be word marks and logos. They can be other sort of uh, devices and, um, you know, graphics and images that that people see and think of a company the apple didn't um, we have the um, the uh, cadbury purple was well, one, wasn't it that's right that's correct so you can trademark colors very very hard to do so because you think about it someone's granted a trademark um, nobody else can use that color um, mm -hmm. or that trademark uh, while that trademark remains in force and so it's just a colour, you know, people should be able to use colours, but where a colour is has become so well known to a particular company and they've done a lot of work to persuade the examiner that people see the colour purple and think of Cadbury, um, you can get protection. It is difficult. 7-Eleven has got the green, orange, already sort of white stripes protected. Um, it, it can be done. But it um, and it can be really valuable to a company if they if they get it through. But I think in some cases it would be difficult to enforce where it's just one color. You know, um, I think it would be tricky. But colors are another example of something you can trademark, um, as well as sounds. You know, they you know they're not as common. I don't think I've ever done a sound trademark before. But you can upload audio uh, files. Um, 
you know, the Harley Davidson roar and there's some jingles, uh, the happy little Vegemites jingle. Um, the old so Nokia phone like that. tone. Remember that old Nokia phone tone that everyone used to hear a lot of the yep, time? That's uh, right. That's something that's, yeah. Yep. The JB Hi-Fi smashing glass, that ad that's always on telly, they trademarked the smashing glass sound. So um, really interesting in terms of how varied trademarks mm. can be. Um, shapes as well. And you probably, some of your listeners might be thinking, yeah, but, you know, that's what the design registers for. And we'll, we'll get to that. But you can actually get shape trademarks for certain products that aren't sort of functional. You know, so um, the Toblerone packaging is that, you know, really unique sort of pyramid yeah. shape um, packaging. You can get shape trademarks, which are better than designs, because as I said before, you can keep renewing them forever. Mm. Every 10 years, designs will be up after 10 years. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I, look, trademarks, um, they don't get through all the time. Very descriptive names are very hard to protect. And sometimes we need to be a bit more creative, file a, a logo version to give the client sort of a, a little bit um, a, of a greater chance of getting the mark mm -hmm. through. Um, the best marks are the distinctive marks. Coca-Cola, um, you know, marks that people don't need to use you know they're, they're made up words they're coined words they're two words joined together um, they're the marks that get through very descriptive marks we have a lot of trouble unless the client has got many years of use and i'm talking you know between more than 10 years um, yeah. and mounting those cases can be quite challenging and very costly mm. so that's sort of my, my main comments in relation to trademarks then yeah. we have copyright okay so Everyone's heard about copyright. They they liken it to, you know, music and performances and movies and and so that's right. It's it's an original work. Um, it can't just be an idea though. So it needs to be reduced to material form. So you can't have an idea for a book. You actually have to write the book, <laughs> and then the the content will be subject to copyright if it's mm -hmm. original. If yeah, you've okay. copied it from somebody else, you don't own the copyright in the ripped off work. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. So it's got to be um, an original work and it, it automatically subsists. It's the best form of protection because it's free. Yeah. Okay. So any of your newsletters for work, anything you've developed on your website that you've created that content, you own that copyright. You don't, you can't register it in Australia, um, but it, it automatically subsists. Can I ask a question without notice? And um, I'm happy if it's not one that we're able to get answered today. But the whole Taylor Swift thing, where she had created and did her work um, on all of those initial albums that were then owned, the rights to the original albums were owned elsewhere. So then she re-recorded it because it was her original work, wasn't it? Does that have yep. anything to do with that sort of copyright, like it was her work and so she could do that again? Or is that something totally separate? Yes. Yeah, so, so at the end of the day, you own that work. You can do whatever you like with it. You can reproduce it. You can rewrite it. Um, you have full rights and control over that copyright work, yeah, and so that gives the the author, you know, really powerful protection for the life of the author plus seventy years. Wow. Yep. So it's a massive period of protection, and you'll notice some of those much older Disney sort of characters and things where copyright has ended. And you'll find more license, you know, find more sort of products yes. on the shelves yes. um, 
because they can't protect that mm. character anymore or that book anymore. So people can do other runs of the book without permission after the the life of the author plus that 70 years. And wow, you know, yeah. copyright, you know, over time, there's going to be more and more of those really well-known copyright works. It'll be uh, free for all, really, to be able yeah. to, to use and exploit. Um, so it's yeah, really, quite... really interesting. Um, mm. And again, copyright's really diverse. Like you can have works of artistic craftsmanship, right? So just sort of one-off sculptures or works, photographs, videos, really, really different as, you know, big case uh, recently, which um, was around whether a bag state of escape, if, if uh, some people might be aware of um, the really unique tote bag, um, mm. where they didn't have a design registration for it, but they tried to argue it was a work of artistic craftsmanship and the court mm. said it wasn't. So um, so it's got to be yeah, something quite unique, sort of a, mm. a one-off um, piece or sculpture or um, the fabric's got to be really different. Um, so, yeah, copyright's a really interesting area. There's some countries that actually have copyright registers. The US is one of them. China is one. India is one as well, I believe. So yep, some clients, if they struggle to get trademarks, for instance, in a, in a country where copyright or trademark infringement is rife, um, and China is one of those countries where clients do have a little bit of trouble, yeah. they will go to a copyright registration as a fallback if we, you know, we can't secure the trademark for yeah. them. So I think that's something important for, um, for people to understand that whilst we can't formally protect it in Australia, what it comes down to is establishing ownership, mm. right? So if you keep really good records of your creation of this particular work, everything's dated, you know, that's something you can do now. You know, if that's anyone really ever nice. challenged your your ownership yeah. in that copyright, well, you've got everything there ready to go to say, no, this is the date I started creation. This is the development process. And I've I've got a step-by-step -step sort of evidence to to yeah. back me up. Um, some people like to post things to themselves so they're date stamped and, you know, it's a little bit over the top, but sometimes that, that can be good if it's a book or something to show that, yep, you know, this is when um, I sent it back to myself by registered post so it confirms yeah. the date. Yeah, um, okay. But these days with various um, programs. And everything you've got going on. Well, that's right. With the programs, you know, things are date stamped pretty pretty yeah. clearly. So yeah. um, so copyright, just think about being an, an original work but reduced mm. to a material form. It can't be something distinct floating around in your head. It's got to yeah. actually be the, you know, the book's been written, the newsletter's been written, um, yeah. the lyrics of that song have been written and you, you haven't copied it from anyone. And that's where Ed Sheeran and, and a lot of these really high, pro, high profile um, musicians have come under fire because, you know, you just imagine, um, you know, how many songs are out there, they're subconsciously going to be influenced by various pieces of music. And so, you know, he's had to spend a lot of time and um, a lot of his effort to to defend these claims and he's been yeah. successful yeah. but um people sort of the more successful you are the more a piece of the action sort of people want so well i often think of the um was it the land down under and the kookaburra oh, yeah. that went for so long and nobody really oh. even it was just such a, a benign thing um until it wasn't and um <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, yeah it was an incredible copyright case 
that one. But, but that, you know, it, it, it happens all the time that you just sort of, you wouldn't even put two and two together, but then you listen really carefully to those riffs or whatever they're called in, in that in that musical piece, and you think, oh, okay, well, there there are some really close similarities there. Um, yeah. So really interesting area, um, mm-hmm. and and quite diverse. But again, we can't register it formally in Australia. So in order to back yourself there, clear records is what you can do. So right. from trademarks to copyright. Mm-hmm. We then go to designs, which is yeah. the shape of something. So the way something looks, uh, visual aesthetic features. So it doesn't just have to be the shape. It can be, you know, a, a pattern or ornamentation on a product as well. And so designs are really cost effective, actually. Um, and they do give a, a, a business, you know, 10 years um, and I, I don't want to confuse the audience because with designs are automatically registered. Okay, you get a registration number, okay. but you can't enforce them or go to court over them until you go to that next second step, which is certification. So okay. you've got to pay a bit more money. That's where IP Australia looks at the prior art base, which is the entire world. Right. Wow. So yeah. it's not it's not easy to satisfy, but um, if they do the search and are satisfied that it is new and distinctive, they will give you a certified. Um, mm certify that design and then you can sue on it you can go to court yeah okay. a lot of our clients i don't ever need to go to court so mm. that would just let the design sitting you know sit on the register as long as possible it's still acting as a deterrent because if mm. people do a search they'll see that this company has got these designs they're called registered but you can't sue on them yeah but a lot of people see registered and assume that they're full they're full, done and dusted yeah. um People that are more savvy will understand, well, if it's not certified, you know, they can't do much with it. But at least it's just sort of sitting there and the amount of copycats you're probably deterring just by having the registered design there, I think can be quite powerful as well. Absolutely. Um, and we're not looking huge money, you know, sort of fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars $1,500, you know, and then if you had to certify, it's another sort of, you know, $1,600. Yeah. It's not cheap. We're not talking tens of thousands of dollars here no, for yes, a yeah. product. And as we said at the start of this, you know, the, this um, presentation, if your business is based on one or two products that are just really innovative visually, the way they work, um, then this would be this is something you should think of really early on in the piece because it is so cost effective. Okay, mm-hmm. um, and each of those things fortifies the brand. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Each thing yeah. Assists, it just doesn't it? It's more, like a more more ammunition. I always like to talk about IP as being a sword and the shield. Yeah, I like. And it. if you think of that, you know, it's it protects you. Like it is the shield. You know, if somebody does try to attack you, you've got you've got your case. You know, you've got your mm-hmm. registered IP. No one can take that from you. Your name's on it. It's got a priority date. Anyone's got a question, you've got an answer. Yeah. But it can be the the uh, sword as well. That if you need to stop someone in their tracks a new competitor has just come out on the market really trying to be quite blatant in their marketing strategy and ripping off what you're doing having the ip means you can really stop them quite quickly Mm. without the ip you have other grounds potentially to rely on and you might have heard things like misleading and deceptive conduct and passing off um so there are other grounds that we sort of tend to lump in if we're you know sending a letter of demand to somebody 
really based on a trademark infringement claim. But we also put in there, you know, what they're doing is also misleading and deceptive and passing yeah. off our reputation. Yeah. There's a lot more to prove though, right? With the trademark, yeah. this is really important for your listeners to understand. Yeah. You don't have to prove one day of reputation. Hmm. You've got so the you trademark, got you've got it. Misleading deceptive conduct is all, and passing off is all about reputation. You've got to mm. show that someone's misrepresented that mm. and it's caused you damage. That's a lot mm. more to prove. Mm. Um, so I think that's sort of a, you know, one of the main things I try to explain to clients that, sure, it's going to cost you a little bit now, but it's going to cost you, it's going to save you a hell, a hell of a lot of heartache potentially mm. down the track. Absolutely. Um, so um, I think, yep. Yeah, Going on to the next IP uh, area, patents. Everyone's heard about patents. That really looks at how a product works, right? It's a bit mm. different to the visual aesthetic feature, which a design would capture most mm. of the time. It's a, a new matter of manufacture. It's something that no one else in the world has thought of. And this is what makes the world go round, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> you know, innovation, new inventions. Yeah. We can't be stuck in the past. We've got to keep innovating and thinking about doing things differently. And so mm. patent law is a really exciting area of law. You know, we've got yeah. some incredible pharmaceutical products, um, you know, engineering products, things that change the way we do things day to day. Um, yeah. You know, and so that can be very hard to secure. You know, you've got to show again that no one in the world has done this thing, right? Um, but if you can get it, that's 20 years monopoly right, which yeah. if you haven't got the money to get this product off the ground you can license it you can get mm. you can get that passive income license mm. the, the right to use a patent so then those big manufacturing companies can actually do it for you do something with it yeah and you can get the benefit of it at the end of the day exactly so again ip rights give you power they give you control mm. and they give you options without yeah. without the ip right in place you're left very exposed uncertain um, you're not going to have the appeal from prospective purchaser who might be tapping on your door to, to look at the business, particularly if you're getting really good traction with that, mm. with that product. Um, and so it, I just think it's all win, win, win. If you mm. look at the IP early on in the piece, as opposed to being reactionary and getting a letter of demand from someone else after you've launched and just sort of thinking, well, I've got to start from scratch. Um, and I see it all the time. I'm sure you do. And and I guess is is it um is there any such thing as too early in the piece? Obviously, sort of with the copyright or the design, there are things that have to happen so that you yep. can, you know, yep. um have it there to um protect. However, yep. in terms of sort of business names and goodwill and those sorts of things, is is there any such thing as it being too early or is it something you should just check in with your lawyer about or Yep. I think whenever you want to launch something new you need to make sure the coast is clear. You mm. can't go in with your eyes shut because I think mm -hmm. that's just naive. And I think that, well, the case law says very clearly that if you don't conduct, conduct that due diligence, you haven't, you can't say that you've adopted that name honestly. Mm. The courts have said that. It's not me. Ignorance it's, isn't a defence. A hundred percent. So it's never too early. Before you launch, you need to get proper advice run some searches yourself. You know, I've, the mm. amount of clients that say, I want to trademark this. And I said, well, have you done a Google search? No. Okay. How about you go and do that first? Yeah. 
because there's a lot of information that is publicly available. That's not going to cost you anything to just no. search yourself. See what's going on in your state. See if a company, you'll see on the ASIC register if somebody has got yep. the same or similar name um, and then you can do a, a website check to see if they're actively trading. And if exactly. they're in your space and the only difference between you and their name is that yours has got an S at the end, um, I think you're going to struggle. I think you're going to have real yep. issues. There's going to be confusion from day one. And look, I, my understanding is when someone starts a business, they want to differentiate themselves. They don't want to be confused with their competitor. Neither. Um, so I, I don't think there's ever a time it's too soon to do that due diligence. I think it, it is an absolute must. And mm. to not do it means that you're going to um, really come into some trouble potentially um, as, as that brand gets more um, exposure and more well-known um, because Absolutely. that's when you become, you know, sort of, you know, on the radar of some of the bigger organisations that will not hesitate mm. to enforce their IP rights. Oh, not at all. And um, just a tip for the, the uninitiated, if you're having trouble finding a website address because none of them are available, then you're probably too close to somebody else's business name. Yep. And look, and your role as well, Alice, I mean, it's so important, you know, when people sort of say, yep, this is what I want to do. Um, and so you can see on the ASIC register, oh, you know, the, mm. the name's going to be knocked back. And mm. so just to be really yeah, mindful um, of what other businesses are doing. And yeah. and a lot of those searches can be done really easily by the, the client in the first instance. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think that's absolutely right. It's all about just understanding, as we said before, ignorance isn't a defence. You need to go into things with your eyes wide open uh, and to understand what the risks might be there. Because if you just try and you know, head in the sand type approach and go, you know, go gung ho forward. Oh, not necessarily going to be never ends well. Never ends well. Yeah, no, and just put, your, put yourself in the shoes of someone who's more established, been trading under that name for five, ten years. You wouldn't want someone new coming yeah. out on the scene, um, causing that type of confusion in the market, and particularly where the market is can be quite narrow. You know where. Yeah everybody knows each other you know and it, it does become quite obvious that what you're doing is try to write off coattails um right yeah. on the coattails of someone who's got a more well-established reputation so just be really mindful of that um i look there's invisible trademark use as well that i think it's probably a good time to bring this in yep, where it. people use sort of hashtags and meta tags things that um the hashtags are visible but sort of those Google ads and, and meta tags, you can't see it. But there's, you know, people have tried to pay for really well-known brands for the direct intent of directing traffic to their website. The course has said that's not on, right? Yeah. So um, I think people have got to be really mindful about if your gut's saying um, this is probably not a good thing for the trademark owner, just steer clear. Because even yeah. if it's not blatant in your face use, the, the end result is trying to cause confusion and deception. Hmm. Okay, and so I thought that's an interesting... Words, I've seen that yep. before where sort of I've gone to Google, you know, a law firm that I'm just to get the phone number or whatever it is off them and you Google the name, like it's not just law firm, like you Google the yep. name um, and somebody else's Google ad pops up in your face yep. and you're like, yep. okay, that's interesting because I've not Googled you, <laughs> I've not Googled yep. a general firm, um, how that works. So that's really interesting.
Yeah, and Google will not be held responsible for that. So it's really up to the person wanting to do something dodgy <laughs> to mm. think twice about it because the courts yeah. have been pretty, pretty, because um, these cases are quite new, you know, um, yeah. they're more Absolutely. recent. And so people just sort of need a little bit of guidance on what they can and cannot do. But the, the decision's pretty clear by the courts that anything you do that's designed to mislead and deceive the market is going to be held to be infringing um yeah. use so just be really careful of that it doesn't have to be in your face uh, all yeah. of the time no fair enough too um look just before we take a break belinda are you able to then talk to us about what we need to be aware of if we've got a great brand in australia or you know in a certain sort of um geographic area and we're looking to expand overseas say um what do businesses need to think about before they sort of start launching into other geographic locations uh three words and all the same word search 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 yeah okay you, you've got to do a clearance search in the market you're looking to expand into um to ensure that the name that you may well have developed incredible reputation in the australian market gives you no rights overseas every country right. has their own ip laws their own registers uh so you could have yep have the best and and most concrete trademark in australia is going to do you no good overseas yeah. so you need someone who knows what they're doing to give you a search report to say we have done a search in this market and it looks clear right and based off that search then you get your trademark filed and then that's going to put you in really good stead to be able to use and exploit that brand in that market however you want to use it okay i think that's um, such valuable wisdom yep yeah um trademarks as well Look, I, i've had massive um us companies that i've acted for wanting to expand their product into the australian market so it's the mm. other way around um and they just can't because someone's got the the other trademark and so mm. they've got to actually rebrand in in certain markets and that might be something you need to have an open mind about as well if somebody's already got your trademark in that country don't just say i'm not going to tackle that market look at a rebrand um you know look at a, using a different trademark for that jurisdiction um and, and we that only have to look really at well. um the whole burger king hungry jacks debacle don't we and i know that that yeah. was eons and eons and eons ago but um someone had the rights and they weren't using them and someone else wanted them and yep. here we are yeah that's right Yep, and just based off that as well, mm. you talk about not not using something. Mm. That's really important. You know, um, you've got to have intention at the time of lodgement to actually use a mark, yeah. and you've actually got to use it within three years. If there you, you don't, it, be, it can become vulnerable to a non-use action. And so don't just assume as well that I've got all these great brands filed, I'll eventually use one of them. That's not going to work. You know, mm. if you don't use it, you can lose it. And that's a yeah, really yeah. important um, uh, takeaway message as well. Um, yeah. And then after, you know, it's sort of at the renewal point, a lot of clients do reassess their portfolios and say, well, why should I renew it? I haven't used it for a little while. Let's just focus on the brands that are relevant. We've got some new brands, so we'll invest in those. And so sometimes it's about reviewing what you've got as well to keep mm. it current and relevant. Um, mm. So don't just think, oh, I've got to renew everything. Um, you don't have to. If you're not using it, you know, I think just move on to and focus on the brands that are really important to the business at that point in time. Fabulous. That's 
such important wisdom. Thank you so much. We will take a really quick break and then, Belinda, you're going to come back and talk to us about your top points in relation to IP. So thank you so much. Pleasure. SMB Wisdom is proudly sponsored by SMB Advisory. SMB Advisory is a specialist firm of chartered accountants dedicated to providing specialist insolvency services to financiers, advisors, directors and individuals. The team at SMB Advisory are a safe set of hands to talk through your options when things get tough or when you find yourself in a tricky business situation and you're not sure what's next. Call the team on 1800 762 238 or send a message through the website www.smbadvisory.com.au to talk through the next steps in your business journey. All right, and we're back. Um, Belinda, you've given us so much to think about today in terms of intellectual property. A lot of things I think uh, some of us might think we're either too small to worry about or we're too new to worry about, but you've absolutely knocked all of those um, statements on the head. And I'm wondering whether or not you might be able to talk to us about your top points in relation to intellectual property, especially for business owners. Sure. Um, my absolute top tip is don't run before you can walk. I think it's yeah. really important to um, look at what is critical to your business. Mm -hmm. Look at what you can, um, you know, afford in the really early stages. If if the product, if the brand is your, what your business is based on, invest in it. Really, really important. But before yeah. you invest, make sure you can use it. <laughs> so do <laughs> those clearance checks. Do it for your business. Do, you know, you'll have to spend a little bit, but it is a freedom to operate search. Okay, I can't recommend it more uh, enough for, for the listeners today is to make sure the coast is clear. Do it, do your internet searches as a starting point. The more thorough and technical searches you'll need to get your lawyer to do um, because you just, mm -hmm. yeah, you, you won't, you won't do um, the, the job that you need to do to make sure that you're, you're free to proceed with your business venture. And that might involve the trademark checks, design searches, patent searches, okay? Um, it really just depends on the nature of the business. So I think those um, searches are absolutely critical. Before you disclose anything, um, speak to your lawyer as well, particularly if your product is really innovative um, because there may be scope to file a patent for it or design um, at the very least have have a, a, a really watertight confidentiality deed at the bottom of your drawer that you can just pull out um, or you know folder on your desktop before you speak to someone doesn't matter how good a friend they are how much you trust them if the idea is that they might be um, a business partner to assist you in this venture you need things in writing uh, yeah, handshake absolutely. deals do not um, do the job anymore okay mm -hmm. and um, you need to protect your own interests. You need to get your house in order. Um, and I think I think that probably the, the key things as well as understanding who the owner of the IP is as well. So don't, yeah. um, I always recommend getting a lawyer to file those um, IP rights because you could try yourself, but it's not gonna um, give you the scope of protection potentially that you need. Um, you might think you've got everything in order, but then when you go to enforce it, you realise it hasn't been filed properly or in the right classes. Um, the owner might be incorrect. And this is proof fatal for trademarks. Wow. It needs to be in the correct owner's name at the date of lodgement. 
otherwise it can be challenged or be vulnerable. Um, and so don't file it in um, a, you know, your own personal name if the company's using it. It needs to be filed in the company name. Okay, mm -hmm. so understanding those ownership issues is really important uh, and really just, um, you know, having the red flags sort of flying if you're doing your own searches and see that, you know, oh, there is someone sort of 20 kilometres up the road using a name that might be deceptively similar. similar it can yeah. be quite subjective. And so a lawyer who sees these cases every day can probably just give you the assurance you need that I think it's different enough or mm. steer clear. And we'll be really honest with you. You know, we will not sugarcoat things because at the end of the day, we want you to start your business venture on the right footing Absolutely. and not spending all your money paying us to fix up problems that could be avoided in the first place. All right. So I think they're, they're sort of the, the critical issues um, is, you know, doing those clearance searches, really understanding who's the owner of that IP and understanding what IP assets a business um, holds and is valuable to that business. Oh, brilliant. Such good wisdom. Thank you very much, Belinda. Um, now, at this time in the podcast, I normally ask my guests as well, what is the best piece of business wisdom that anybody's ever given you? Are you able to share anything with our audience? Oh, look, it's pretty old school, but I just treat my clients like gold, you know. <laughs> I just, um, it's, it's, it's always just been the way I do business, um, putting myself in the client's shoes. And so I think just keeping, keeping those really basic principles part of your everyday practice, I think is really important. Well, it's really important to me. Um, yeah. So I will always give a client, um, a, a, suggest a strategy that's going to give them the best outcome money will never come into it. So if it's going to cost less, that's great. I will give client mm -hmm. that um, that strategy. I always yeah. put myself in the client's shoes. Every dollar yeah. I'm spending on behalf of the client, I uh, act as if it's my own money out of my bank account. So yeah. I think just those sort of um, basic things about how I you know, go about servicing clients um, yeah. is, is just, yeah, it's it can never go wrong if you um, no. if you always put the client first. Such brilliant wisdom. Thank you so much, Belinda. And thank you for sharing so much information with us today. Um, I've certainly got a lot out of that. I'm always astounded with, um, you know, you think you have a bit of knowledge and then so much more comes and it's amazing. So thank you very much for sharing all that with us today. Um, well, before we go, do you want to share with our listeners where they can find you? Sure. Um, so, so I'm a principal lawyer at McPherson Kelly Lawyers where I've got offices in uh, Victoria. So I'm actually based in our Dandenong office. Uh, we've got one in Burke Street in Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane. So there's four offices. We have IP lawyers uh, in all offices. Um, I'm, I'm based in Victoria. So um, I've been at the firm 18 years. Um, I love the place. I've got, um, uh, we've got actually a really tight knit national IP team. We catch up monthly and um, and just try to be the, the cutting edge of anything um, new happening in IP. So McPherson okay. Kelly's a firm um, and, yeah, we can pass on details if they want email and, and phone number. Yeah. Now, we'll have all of your details um, and contact links uh, on our webpage as well. Um, so if people want to get in touch with you, then they can. But thank you very much, Belinda. Really appreciate your time today. Absolute pleasure. Great to chat, Alice, as always.
Thank you. And thanks again to everyone listening in today. Please don't forget to hit subscribe so that you don't miss out on any of our fabulous episodes that we have coming up and give us a rating so that others can find out about us too. Let us know if there's any specific topics you'd like us to talk about here on SMB Wisdom. But until the next time, be wise in business. Thanks, Blinda. Thank you. Bye.